Okay, uh, welcome to another edition of Culture Class Podcast, a podcast where we get to talk to interesting people from different backgrounds, get to learn about other cultures in a very casual way. Uh, my name is Nosa, and welcome to another episode. Uh, today I have a very unique guest, Jennifer Laurie. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me to do this. Yeah, of course. Um, Jennifer is a writer, she's an author, uh, she has a book published, and Jennifer... We're going to get into bits and pieces of your life, but um, what I like about your story is that you actually interacted with quite a number of cultures before mm-hmm. over the past uh, few years. So uh, we'll get into that in a little bit, but I just want to uh, get a sense of your background and where you come from. I understand you're from Maine. Yeah, I'm from Maine. Yeah, and, and doing this research was actually an eye-opener for me. Uh, that's why I love this podcast so much. Because whenever I had no idea that there was a city called Portland in Maine. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's where I'm from. Yeah, because, you know, when I always hear Portland, my mind goes to Oregon. Mm-hmm. So I had no idea that there was this whole tale of two cities thing between Portland wow. and Maine. Well, the original Portland. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sure if I have someone from Oregon on the podcast, you'll say the same thing. <laughs> well, no, we're original because the East Coast was discovered before the West Coast. Oh, touche, (laughs) touche. So you're from Portland in Maine. And for those of you listening to this from outside the U.S., uh, sometimes it's not uncommon, right, to have the same name for different cities in different states, right? So even until now, I have a couple of people back home in Nigeria who think I'm living in Seattle. Like Washington State. Oh, right. I'm like, no, it's Washington, D.C. They're like, oh, how's Seattle? (laughs) I hear it rains a lot. (laughs) But how was growing up like for you? Uh, Portland, Maine, how was growing up? Well, I I was very lucky because I grew up in the 80s at a time when life was just very much more innocent than it is now, you know, before the internet. For all the things you can find on the internet, <laughs> and um, it was just a very idyllic childhood. I grew up with my dad, who worked outside of the home, and my mom stayed home until I was in sixth grade. And we lived in a house that had a big yard, and it was next to woods. And back then, it was safe for your for kids to go play in the woods by themselves. And wow! So when so, kids actually went out to play, oh yeah, I gotcha. played outside. My mom would, you know, look at me through the window in the yard sometimes, but I would go off, you know, exploring the woods by myself for hours, and nobody had to worry about anything. So that was great. By yourself? Were you an only child? I was an only child. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've always been curious how it was growing up as an only child because sometimes you know your siblings get on your nerve but at least you know you still have someone to talk to and stuff um how was it did you have friends um, yes so as an only child i was very good at just entertaining myself so i had my room to play in i had a basement playroom to play in i had woods to play in so i was really good about just keeping myself entertained um but I also, my best friend growing up had three siblings. So I spent a lot of time at her house. So I got the feel for what it was like to have a brother tease you and, you know, have a little sister annoy you. And so I got, so, so their mom called me their fifth child. And I loved to go to their house with all the rambunctiousness and the noise and, you know, the fun. And then my friend Joanna used to love to go to my house where everything was 
calm and quiet and neat and tidy. So yeah, I thought the best and you talked a little bit about growing up in a time without the internet. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest disadvantage of the internet? Like being a teenager in today's world and growing up with all this social media and access to uh, information all around the world. Um, what do I think is the biggest disadvantage? Yeah. Um, well, call me conservative, which I'm not really. I'm actually quite liberal. But I think all of the sex on the internet is really bad for people to have lost the innocence that that I got to have growing up where like maybe you'd see a Playboy magazine in like your friend's garage but there wasn't this access to acts and things that you would never even think of in your own mind that I think have affected male relations and relations with how people comport themselves. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. What's the biggest advantage, you think, of the internet? Well, I mean, I have the entire world in my pocket. So any information that I want to know, I can look up. I can contact people from all over the world. And, you know, I have access to amazing photographers all over the world, capturing pictures on Instagram that I love, follow. Um, I've made friends all over the world through Instagram and being a writer and it, it connects us. And also, if it wasn't for the internet, I don't know if I would have published my book because Amazon created this platform that just let me upload a file and now I've got a book that's available for people to read. So it's amazing. Oh, so your book is self-published? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, so we had a writer. Um, I'm not exactly sure where I'm going to post this episode, but we had a writer on episode 30, also Adora, and she. Okay. She is also self-published, so it's just amazing to know that, um, you know, even things like this podcast, you know, you really don't need an NBC right. or whatever nowadays. You can just, you know, throw things out there mm-hmm. and get people in Japan listening to it or reading it mm-hmm. or watching it, uh, yeah. whatever the case may be. So in that sense, I guess uh, it's a good time to be alive. I think there's one other disadvantage that really irks my nerves a lot, and I'm actually going to write about it in my blog, so there's a spoiler, which is that I think, you know, back when I was growing up, if you wanted to maintain a relationship with someone that didn't live near you, you had to buy stationery and, or you just have paper and stationery, but you needed a pen or a pencil and a pencil sharpener, and you had to get stamps and, you know, find a mailbox. And it was really time consuming and a high effort to communicate with people. And when you would write your letter, then you would put it in the mail, and then you'd have to wait a few days for the other person to receive it, and then they would, you know, send it back. So it was like a week before you, if they were quick, it'd be a week before you found out their news and got a response to your news. Yeah. And it was just a high effort way, but people did it. And yeah. I wrote tons of letters, and I received tons of letters, and I invested in relationships and maintained relationships with people that were far away from me. And today, you walk around with your phone in your pocket or always within arm's length of you, and you can communicate with people all over the world on tons of different platforms. If it wasn't for the strangers that message me on Instagram, I don't think I'd hear from anyone that I actually know. And it's like actually a friend. And I just think it's made us really not focus on building and maintaining like actual real relationships. relationships. 
No, that, that's uh, I guess that's uh, understandable. But but now that you mentioned that about the whole pen pal love letter era, mm-hmm. I'm interested to know how it went on in the U.S. versus where I come from in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. So when I was in high school, uh, this was in the maybe late 90s something. We're still writing letters, mm-hmm. um, but. We had this thing we used to do as kids where we would like take our mother's perfume and like spray the letter so it would smell nice. And we had this killer phrase. We always open every letter with like, I'm picking my golden pen from the basket of love to write you <laughs> <laughs> what's in my heart. <laughs> no cheesy stuff like that. But um, I don't know what you guys used to do here in the US. Um, well, I had stickers. So I would go buy uh, stickers and I would, you know, decorate the envelopes with lots of stickers and make them really pretty and exciting for someone to receive. Um, I, I probably sprayed a few letters with perfume, but one thing I did, which I'm so grateful that I did, and I write about this in the book, that I photocopied all my letters. So wow. everything that I sent out, I have a record of. So, Wait, as a kid? Well, more as a, like a teenager or a young gotcha. adult, like after college, because I lived abroad, and so back then you couldn't call people, or an email was just starting. So when I was living abroad, I spent a lot of time on correspondence and I had my host family uh, photocopy letters for me so that I would not lose them, not have a record of what I did, which is pretty kind of like overkill because I also kept a journal. <laughs> so I was, everything has been recorded. Well, I guess we, we cannot understand that you are destined to write a book later in the future. <laughs> All that was just practice. Did you have like a shoebox full of letters? How big was your shoebox or your inventory? Well, so I didn't have a shoebox. What I had was when I came back home, I had I was very organized. I had a filing cabinet. So I had a file for each of my friends and for the letters that they sent me and the letters that I sent to them. And so everyone had a file. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice. And we, I know you touched on living abroad for a little bit, but when was the first time you really left Maine and where did you go to? Uh, I know you schooled uh, here in D.C., but before then, did you have an opportunity to leave Maine, maybe as a kid or as a teenager? And what was that experience like? Well, not counting visiting family like with my parents in Massachusetts, which is a neighboring state. Um, the first time I left Maine, I was probably in like second grade, and my grandmother lived in Miami Beach, right on Ocean Drive, which is like the drive where everybody, where all the the, the Art Deco hotels are and the restaurants and the clubs. Is that a sharp contrast from what you have in Maine? Oh, yeah. Gotcha. Well, yeah, I mean, there's palm trees. And the water's not freezing. Um, but so back then, that was before Miami is what it is today, where it's just like a party scene. Back then, it was, you know, all the hotels that are hotels now were, they were hotels, but people lived in them. And so my grandmother lived in a hotel on Ocean Drive, and, and, and all of the neighbors were like old people, all old people. Wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me that there was a time when Miami was like a retirement town? Oh, yeah. People wanted to go and just keep your head down, just have a peaceful life? Yeah. Be Miami? Yeah, Miami Beach. Wow. Yeah, it's like old people. Okay, okay. <laughs> and, um, and so I went, so the first time I went and I visited my grandmother, and it was my first extensive time away from home and away from my parents, and I got so homesick that I actually got sick, and I had to come home early. Wait, how long were you going? I was probably there for a week. Oh. And... After experiencing that homesickness, as I think a second grader, I decided I was never going 
going to become sick again. And but you just decided oh, I, decided. I was going to control my emotions and yeah, make sure. I decided this was not fun. I did not like this experience. I really liked being visiting my grandmother. I like being in Miami. I like being somewhere new. I'm never going to let this prevent me from exploring and doing things again. And I'm never going to become sick again. And I never was. And you actually became sick. Like what? Did you have a fever? Did you? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I was. I was so homesick. I miss my parents so much. Wow. <laughs> well, that's nice. So you must be really close to your parents then. Yeah, I am. Are you closer to your mom or to your dad? Um, I think equal. Yeah. I talk to them at least once a day. Okay. Okay. So you moved to Miami? No, I didn't move. Oh, I just, you I just visit- went there. Just visited. Yeah. Okay. So you then, visited Miami? Yeah. So that was my first time away from home. And then, of course... I went and, you know, and then after that, I went back and I visited my grandmother other years and I didn't get, didn't get homesick again, just like I had decided I wouldn't. So when I was in high school, I wrote an essay and I won. My essay was one of the winners and the prize was week in Washington, D.C. doing something called the Washington Congressional Workshop or something where you come to D.C. and you learn about the government. Was this essay about politics or history uh, you know i it, it wasn't like the dar but it was something like that it was some kind of i, I don't even remember what it was about it's some some kind of revolutionary ethnocentric america thing <laughs> i don't i don't remember what the topic was but i, I got i was a winner so i got to come to dc and that's pretty much why i ended up in school here because after spending a week here, I was like, I live in DC. So, and then after going to school and living abroad for a few years, I came back and I'm here. And you actually attended American, American University, right? Which is just not too far away from here. So, we're recording this in Tenley Town, Washington, DC, and AU is uh, what, five, five minutes from here? Well, if you're walking or driving. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's yeah. not too far. It's within the neighborhood. I mean, law school is yeah. right behind this yeah. building yeah, somewhere. Yeah, it's very close. I walk everywhere, so everything takes me a little bit longer then. And I just graduated from AU in May. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, my graduate degree, so... Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, so. What was your major? What were you, what's your field? Uh, I just completed my MBA. Okay, yeah, great. So. Good for you. Thanks, thanks. So I guess we're alumni. Yeah, right? we are. <laughs> Have you attended any of your alumni events, especially being in D.C.? I attended one. Yeah, no, I, I I haven't done that. I probably should. Yeah, I mean, um, even before I graduated, they were already sending me, hey, you know, you're an alumni now, you know, you can plan towards giving back. I'm like, uh, can you guys allow me graduate first or yeah. something? Yeah, they cost so much money. Every time I get one of those, I get really more because I'm tired. Okay, so you went to AU, you studied Spanish, actually. Yes. Spanish um, and Latin American studies. What influenced you to study Spanish and Latin American studies? Uh, is there a large Hispanic, or was there a large Hispanic community in Maine growing up? Yeah, um, so how did you stumble into that There was very, very little diversity in Maine. Now there's a lot more, but when I was growing up, there was almost no diversity. But I and I went to the I went got my education through the Portland Public School System. So there wasn't like racial diversity, but there was, um, and this is an answer to your question at all, but there was economic diversity, which was, which was nice because that opens it, your eyes a little bit to how people that aren't as lucky as you are growing up. But through the Portland Public School System, I got an awesome education and I was so well prepared when I went to college. So I, 
I remember being in my English writing class my freshman year, and I just couldn't believe how better prepared I was than other students in that class. Anyway, I keep digressing. So why did I study Spanish? So in high school, I, I had the opportunity to take Spanish. So I took Spanish for five years, and I had an amazing Spanish teacher, and her name was Tamara Gier. And by the time I graduated, I was almost fluent. And wow. I also studied French when I was in high school with Mrs. Aiken, who's also an excellent teacher. So I studied languages. I always loved languages. So I, by the time I graduated, I had a very good foundation in French, and I was almost fluent in Spanish. And when I was a junior in high school, the summer before my senior year, we had an exchange student from Spain mm-hmm. who spent a month with us in the summer. So I got to like speak with her. No, I'm sorry. That was the summer before my junior year. And then the summer after my junior year, I went and I visited her family. In, in Spain. Spain. Yeah, so I got to go to Spain for three weeks. Was this your time abroad when you were writing letters? Um, I probably didn't write letters, so I was just there for three weeks. Okay. Um, and I remember just being really mad at my mom. She didn't let me stay for a fourth week, and I was like, if I had stayed for one more week, I would have been totally fluent. <laughs> so that just one week. <laughs> yeah, I was very close. And then, um, and then my senior year in high school, we had an exchange student from Spain, not my family, but from the school. We had an exchange student from Spain and an exchange student from Argentina. And so I got to speak a lot of Spanish with them. And then after I graduated, I went to visit the guy, the Spanish student in Spain. So I got to spend five weeks with his family. So that was awesome. And then I went to college and I didn't know what I wanted to major in, but I knew I wanted to keep taking Spanish. And then I must have taken a class about Latin America. And I just really had my eyes open to how much ethnocentric propaganda I had grown up with and that America isn't really promoting things in other parts of the world that we would like Americans to think that we're doing. So I was just fascinated by learning all of these things that I had no idea were that we did because, you know, we always hear how democracy abroad and you know we help other countries but so so that's why i ended up studying in spanish i just wanted to learn more about it so oh so i guess it's safe to say you're pretty immersed in that language like you kind of survived in spain for 10 years and i don't speak a word of english yeah i'm very good at spanish do you speak any other languages yeah i also speak french and italian and i understand italian how'd that come about so after I graduated from college, I did not want to get like a quote unquote real job right away, and I became an au pair. An au pair? An au pair. Okay, yep. what's that? An au pair is like a nanny, except it's a cultural exchange program. Okay. So you you work for a family, but you're also supposed to be part of the family. So they pay you a small salary and you just help out and take care of the kids, but you're also supposed to, you know, learn about the language and the culture. So I had wanted to do that in a Spanish-speaking country, but the organization that I went with, and remember this is before the internet, so I couldn't just Google au pair organization. I found them at the career fair at my school. And I like to just do things that drop in my app lap and are easy. <laughs> so I didn't go and try to research other organizations. So they didn't have a program in Spain, but they had a program in France. And since I spoke French, I went and I lived in France. 
And then once I came back from France, they had a program in Argentina that they were running to stand up. And oh, wait, hold on. Where, where in France did you live? And how, how long did you live there? I lived in France for eight months. Wow. I spent the first two months with a family outside of Paris. But then I ended up switching families, and I lived with a family right outside of Cannes. And nice. I got to live with the most wonderful family in the lap of luxury for six months of my life, and it was amazing. Cannes is by the sea, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And experiencing all this, being exposed to all these cultures and all these countries at a relatively young age, obviously broadened your mind uh, yeah. about the world. Yeah. But you left France and you went to Argentina? Yeah, so I left France and then I went back and I spent the summer in Maine. And then I went to Argentina where I, it wasn't, I wasn't there as an au pair. I was there living with a family and teaching English at a little, in a little neighborhood English institute. So I was teaching English and American culture. And I was there for three months, and that's where I met my ex-husband. I met him my third week there. And in Argentina. In Argentina. Is he Argentinian? He's Argentine, yep. Okay. And, he, and that was in a city called Santa Fe. And then I left Argentina, and I went back to Maine again for, for the summer. No, it was the winter. So I left Argentina, and I had decided when I was there that I wanted to keep doing it. I didn't want to settle down. My student loans, I didn't have to start paying them back yet. And I had I was on my mom's health insurance. So I didn't have to I didn't have anything that was forcing me to be a grown up. Okay. And so I decided I wanted to I had taken Italian in college as well, so I decided that I wanted to try Italy. So I had written, you know, back then there was a book that said it was called Work Study Love Abroad. And I looked up au pair agencies in Italy. The agency I was with didn't have that. And I applied, and I ended up getting selected by a, an Italian host family that lived in Venice. Wow. So I already got this in my books. I don't get too many spoilers, but... Is Venice the... I don't know how much you had to experience with the water and the boats. Is it as magical as it looks? Yes. So, okay, well, this is a spoiler. I'm going to talk about this in my book. But okay. When I... Um, so, like I said, various times in this conversation, there wasn't really the internet yet. There was no Google. Google did not exist. There were other search engines, but they weren't like Google. And therefore, it wasn't even on my radar to Google Venice. So I didn't know what Venice was. I, I went to Venice knowing I was going to a city in Italy, but I had no idea that I was going to a city that didn't have cars and that it was just like canals and homes built literally in the water. So when I got there, it was a huge surprise. And I'm so glad that I had that experience because I don't know if surprises like that really can exist that much anymore today with so much information at your fingertips. Oh, you'd be surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, but most people, before they travel somewhere, they're probably going to look it up and they're going to... Yeah. yeah, but the, the feeling, right? You, you can't get feelings from pictures and video. Right? Yeah. It's, it's uh, like when I went to Sydney, it was just, I've seen a lot of stuff about Sydney, but going there was totally different. But what you were saying? Yeah, um, I haven't been to Sydney yet, though. So. Yeah, so it was just very cool. And so I lived, this family lived in a palace. Well, it wasn't like a, it was formally a palace. Now, with them, they just lived in an apartment on the top floor of the palace, but called uh, Palazzo, and it was right on the Grand Canal. So um, it was, yeah, it was absolutely beautiful. And I walked everywhere and 
we took the boat with the little girls to their school. That was the transportation. It's like the bus. It's like it's a boat, and, and it was great. Nice, nice. And well, we're going to have a link to uh, your book on Amazon mm-hmm. in the show notes, mm-hmm. uh, just for people who need more information about some of these stories to really dig in yeah. and to have an insight into your life and your experiences uh, in other cult- uh, countries. So you learned all these languages, you lived in some of these countries, mm-hmm. and you came back to D.C. Mm-hmm. And how I actually, I don't know if you can remember how we met exactly, and probably not, uh, but I was actually coming to AU for my graduate school, and I was searching for apartments. And I, I think I stumbled on Craigslist somewhere or Facebook. Uh, like, yeah, actually, that's how we met. Okay, and and are we Facebook friends? Yeah, we are Facebook friends. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, how did you find me? Yeah, that's so. Because I normally, I normally don't. Okay, I, I interrupted you. You were gonna say about how you. Like, no, 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 no. Okay. okay, so I'll finish your story for you. So, okay. so I lived with my, my, my ex-husband and I, I married him from Argentina, and then we moved back to the States, and we ended up buying this apartment in French Pets, right outside of D.C., and I, as I've read in my book, we just had a lot of problems getting along, and unfortunately, the marriage didn't work out, and he left, and he left right at the height of the housing crisis. So I was very stuck in this condo that we bought together that we were splitting equally because we happened to earn the same exact salary. And now I had to cover this half because he had to go and live somewhere else, and he didn't have any extra money to you know, help me out. So this was before Airbnb. This was before all of that stuff. And all there really was back then was Craigslist. And... I thought, what am I going to do? And I realized, okay, I, I'm going to rent out the living room. So I put it out on Craigslist, and I ended up having nine years of people living, for nine years people living with me, and I had 71 different roommates from 16 different countries. Yep. And you apparently were one of the people who contacted me, yeah. but we didn't meet that, right? Uh, no, we didn't meet because right. I think it was early stages. I was still trying to look for an apartment. Right. I ended up living somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, but it was just interesting because I remember the first uh, few sentences when we were chatting. I was like, okay, I got a job in AU. How close is the apartment to university? Uh, then I, I think I happened to say I was Nigerian. I go, yeah, I've had like two or three Nigerians <laughs> live with me before. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. So that's very interesting. So you've had roommates from 16 different countries. Yeah. So what's interesting about you and why I told you earlier is because normally I do not. So what I would do when someone responded to my ad was I would say, find me on Facebook and that way you can see pictures of my place in one of my in my Facebook Correct. Account. I think that's what it was. Yeah. And and so if someone lived with me, and the reason that I did that was so that I could do my reconnaissance on that person and see their Facebook and see like do my Facebook background check. Uh, so that's that was the, the my method and it worked out very, very well. Um but normally if someone didn't live with me then I would unfriend them. And you were one of probably maybe three people and hundreds of people who like, contacted me, who invited me to see my pictures that I actually never unfriended. Because I remember our conversation, I, I thought you were just so nice. So, you know, and I think maybe you had posted, I think you posted more back then. You were probably posting something. I, 
thought was interesting, so I just kept being friends with you. Why, why does every guest that comes to the podcast always say, I'm so nice? I'm trying to build my street cred. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to, I mean, everyone from Scott, uh, a comedian who I had on podcast to Jess, who I interviewed yesterday, oh, you're so nice. But you guys don't talk about me in the streets. I'm just, I'm just joking. That's so funny. But tell me about your first roommate. Where was uh, he or she from? And what was your experience? And just, Maybe from there you can pivot into some interesting stories uh, about living with people from other countries. Okay, so my first roommate was Harpreet. And this was. Wait, 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 wait. Harpreet, what? What's his last name? She. Okay, that's not the same person. Yeah. Because I know know Harpreet. Yeah, so this was um, February of 2009. And I put up the ad expecting that I would. Just rent out on the couch. I didn't know how, that was, how it was going to go. So, her pre was moving to DC from California, and I just really liked her name. I thought it was so cheerful, and I just wanted to say it over and over and over. Her pre, I was really excited for her to come. And she, her intention was to just stay with me for a couple of weeks while she looked for, you know, not someone's couch. And so, she was my first roommate, and it was a great experience. And she still looks, I think she still lives here. But after her pre moved out, I posted the ad again, and I had a response from Florian, who was Austrian, and Jasmine, who was Thai. Nice. And Florian, I did a Skype interview with him because he was still in Austria, and he was coming to do an internship for the summer. And Jasmine came, and I interviewed a person, and she found my place, and I was very torn because I really liked Florian and he kind of had first dibs and so I told Jasmine as I was walking her out I said you know I need to find out if Florian's going before I can commit to you and she was in a really bad living situation and she really wanted to get out and so she just like took my she took my arm and she just said like so earnestly like I really really want you and I was just like I can't like say no to this poor woman so then I was like well maybe you could stay in my room with me. So I ended up getting two air mattresses. So I had one in the living room for Florian and then I had one in the bedroom for Jasmine. So there were three of us. And then it turned into four of us. And I won't go into the whole story, but um, for the first, I think, two years, I had two beds in my bedroom and two beds in the living room. So I had four people under my roof on my one-bedroom apartment. But it was one and a half baths and it's quite large. So you never felt proud of how this felt. Right? Right? Pleasant, warm. I tried to create a warm and welcoming environment. Nice. We asked about people being from other countries. So Jasmine, she cooked a lot, and she just completely took over my kitchen. And, and Jasmine is from, from Thailand. Thailand. Yes, yeah, she okay. totally took over my kitchen, and she had all of these bottles of seasoning, spices, and sauces, and and she just and, and and if she was cooking, no one else was allowed in the kitchen. Like she took it over. And she was just this very teeny tiny Thai woman, but she she was boss. She was the boss of my apartment that I owned. Nice. <laughs> and, and so that was so I just you know, she was nice and, and the funniest part about her was that when she cooked, she wore a shower. Wait, like a with like, a shower cap? A shower cap. Is it like those net things for No, like instead of wearing the kind of thing you would wear to protect yeah. you know, 
food from getting hair. She wore an she actual, wore an actual shower shop. Cap. Okay, <laughs> I must have been funny. <laughs> you know, it's it's crazy how Craigslist was like this all encompassing tool. Like if you need it, Craigslist was the Uber before Uber. It was yeah. the Airbnb before Airbnb. Yeah. It was the Tinder before Tinder. Yeah. It was the medium before medium. Yeah. It was marketplace that, before marketplace. It was marketplace before like it was everything and like all these companies just kind of like took one portion of Craigslist and just became like yeah. did you like develop a relationship with any of your roommates that kind of warranted you? I don't know how many of them are back in their countries now and how many of them you still keep in touch with, but did you just develop a relationship? One, where you got to participate in, let's say, any kind of festival or something locally within their community or travel to their country and participate. Yes, I did. Okay, tell me about it. I, well, I am so lucky I got to go to a wedding in Russia. Nice. Yeah. A Russian wedding. Yeah. So okay. Nice. Was it what kind of wedding? I'm just. You know, surprisingly, I was so surprised there really wasn't that much vodka. Really? Or was it wait a month? I know, I don't think there was. The food was amazing. Okay. So, yeah, my, my roommate, Alexi, he was very early on, maybe like the second year of doing it. He, he, Alexi was born in Russia, but he wanted, but he grew up in the States, and his grandparents lived in Russia, so every summer he would go back to Russia. And he, I think he was an American, but I think he was an American, or if not, he at least had a green card. So he was very American, but he also liked Russia better. So instead of after when he graduated from college, he also went to American. When he graduated from college, he wanted to live in Russia. He didn't want to live here. So he moved back to Russia. So he lived with me while he, before he moved back. Wait, so he, he's from Russia. He came here to go to school and went No, he grew up here. Like he oh, came he? here as a little kid. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So he's really interesting because he, is one of, I think, probably not that many people in the whole world that has a perfect understanding of American culture and a perfect understanding of Russian culture. And I love when there's something happening in politics. Like I love to get his opinion because he looks at things from both perspectives. And a lot of times our propaganda is telling us the opposite of what their propaganda is telling them. As and, Russia in particular. Yeah, and so it's, yeah, because we're like, no, enemies. Yeah. So it's just super interesting. So anyway, um, <clears throat> Alexi lived with me, and after he moved out a few months later, I went and I visited him in Moscow. So that was amazing to get to see behind the curtain and see what this, you know, because like I said, I grew up in the '80s. So when I was growing up, it was very, you know, we I was terrified of being killed in a nuclear attack because we were very much in the Cold War. And now I was getting to be in Russia as a tourist with like my own private Russian tour guide who took me all over the place and it was awesome. And then a few years later he got married and so I got to go to the wedding. Thanks. And it was just, you know, so I've, I've gotten to see Moscow and it's, it's really different to see a place. The best way to travel is when you get to have a local tour guide that's your friend. Yeah. So it's a really big difference. And I don't think I would have liked Moscow if I didn't have Alexei to show me all the cool places because it's not really a beautiful city. Preach. But if you know where to go, then you know where the beautiful things are. So 
I, I'm very, very lucky. I've gotten to experience that in France, in Spain, in Russia, in um, Italy, in Italy, in Argentina, in Lebanon. Really? Yep. Um, in Dubai. So I've gotten in Montreal. So I've gotten to be all these places where I had someone who was a friend of mine who was local that. Well, yeah, that's true. Lebanon is recent, right? Like yeah. within the last two or three years or yeah. so. Yeah, because mm -hmm. I can I can remember seeing some pictures uh, yeah. sometime. What's a tradition at a Russian wedding that came as a surprise to you that that wasn't like part of the, the tradition of an American wedding? Okay. The first thing was I traveled across the world to go to this wedding in Russia, and I actually didn't get to go to the actual wedding because the wedding ceremony is a very small and intimate thing, and that wasn't open to all the wedding guests. So just family? And it was, you know, it was Alexi's family and his best man and all his family and maybe like one or two friends, but okay. it was just a really small thing. So... So, I did, so that was a surprise because I didn't know I wasn't going to get to actually witness that. Um, and then the the other interesting thing about the Russian wedding was they had an MC. So they had he was a DJ, like it, it, they didn't have a band, I don't think. So, but they had like an MC who, you know, told them everybody, you know, what to do at what time. There were a lot of games that they played, and it was really. Interesting because well, I couldn't understand anything, so that was frustrating. <laughs> so, so they were playing all these games that looked really fun, but I didn't I didn't know how to I, I couldn't understand the MC. But it, it kind of reminded me of a bar bat mitzvah that oh. is a, a a celebration that a thirteen year old Jewish boy or girl participates in, and there's a party and there's dancing. There's also a lot of games, and I don't think I've ever been to an American wedding where there were games. So that was interesting. But the, the best part about this wedding in Russia was that Olya, the bride, did aerial silks as a sport. So I don't know if you know what aerial silks are, but it's when you have this big piece of fabric, like a silk, that comes down from the ceiling. Oh, and it's kind of like, a, like rolls up. And yeah, it's like, okay. it's like a gymnastics, yeah. aerial dance thing. Yeah. Um, they have like in Cirque du Soleil and stuff like that. Yeah. So, as a surprise during the wedding, Alexi and Olya disappeared for a little while, and then they came back, not in like her wedding dress and not in his tuxedo, but just in more like casual clothes. And I was like, "Well, what's happening? Is it over already? Are they like, you know, like I'm going off on my honeymoon outfit?" But no, they started playing music, and Olya and, and the uh, silk came down from the ceiling, and Olya started to do her, you know, a performance. So that was amazing, and Alexi was holding the the, the the silk, so he was, like, spinning her around, and so I thought, oh, that's, you know, really nice, you know, she's going to perform, and he's going to, like, participate a little bit and help out, but what really happened was Alexi hadn't told anyone that he had been studying this for the past nine months, so oh. he actually performed with her, and so the two of them... So he actually went up? The he actually went up, and the two of them are just like spinning in the air above everyone. I mean, she must have known, but like no one else knew. Right, nobody else knew. Okay. At one, well, I mean, like I'm sure the DJ of the MC knew, but you know, this was and 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 so what he had done was he made her dream come true, which was that she wanted their first dance as husband and wife to oh. be in the air. So they had an aerial first dance of them just like 
flying around over our heads and spinning, and it was just like it was absolutely amazing. So I don't think that's a tradition in a Russian wedding. Yeah. But it was just a, an amazing thing to get to see. So romantic. That's 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 nice. Yeah. And that's that's they've been married for how long now? Well, now they've been married for so that was like maybe four years ago. Oh, yeah. nice, nice. Yeah. Have you ever been to an African wedding, like any country in Africa? I have not been to Africa, and I've not been to an African. Okay, okay. I just just no. wanted to know. Um, not yet. Have you tried any African food, uh, like from any country in Africa? Um. So I had a roommate from Cameroon, and okay. she's a very good cook, and so I got to try some of her food. But I think that's it. I don't think I've had any other African. Okay, so that means I'll need to introduce you to jollof rice. <laughs> what? Jollof rice. What is that? Okay, so it's rice. Okay. But it's prepared with tomatoes and some spices. It's like uh, the dish originally came from Senegal, mm -hmm. but now it's really popular in Nigeria and it's where I'm from and it's popular in Ghana also. Okay. So we have this thing called kind of like the U.S. and Russia. Okay. Nigeria and Ghana, like who has the best jollof? Okay. So it's always on social media. Like okay. if anything happens, you know, we just play around. Oh, that dude was at eating Ghanaian jollof or something. <laughs> <laughs> but jollof rice, yeah, it's a, it's a very popular food, and I'm yet to see someone that tried it and was like disappointed. Well, I would love to try it. Yeah, we have a couple of African restaurants here in DC, so so many more of these days. Uh, I'll I'll get to try something new. Yeah, I would love that. I love trying new things. Perfect. You perfect. should have like a little um. A reunion of different people that you've interviewed and um, we could meet each other. Yeah, you know, I've actually thought about that. I've thought about it. Uh, I'm actually like playing with names, maybe the culture mix. Mm -hmm. I keep it within the whole culture family, culture class podcast, learning about culture, culture mix, people from different cultures mixing. I've had about, what, 30 episodes now, so I'm thinking about it for like episode 50. Okay. And maybe like have a thing where people come together, share food, all that kind of stuff, and maybe even like share music from different it. countries. Because I, I got to like, I've learned so much from the podcast. I got to discover like Pakistani music. I got to discover Saudi Arabian comedy. Oh wow! And you know, just all different sort of food, oh, like wow. different things. So it'll be interesting um, if I can like have this little ecosystem of like people. And now that I've met you, you seem to know a lot of people from different countries. So <laughs> maybe you can introduce me to a couple of people. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So let's talk about your book. Okay. Um, That's my favorite topic. Exactly. <laughs> uh, sorry, before we talk about your book, uh, let me just say something. If you're listening to this uh, from any platform, uh, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iOS, uh, do me a favor and just take a screenshot of your screen and please share that on your WhatsApp stories or your Instagram stories. Uh, so just take a quick screenshot of whatever is on your screen uh, from Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Spotify and share it on your stories. So about your book, Alone in the Back Seats, mm -hmm. it's a very captivating name yeah. to start with. Mm -hmm. But how did you come up with that name, Alone in the Back Seat? So it just dawned on me when I was alone in the back seat. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, the back seat of the car? Yeah, so okay. um, it was after my ex-husband had left, and as I, as you know, I was an only child growing up, so I spent a lot of time alone in the back seat of my parents' car, and when I would visit them in Maine, I would still, my husband at the time wouldn't often, 
come, come with me. I would usually often go by myself. So I was still, I was still a grown up and I was married. But I was, Wait, so your husband didn't get to interact with your parents too much? I mean, he did sometimes, but I would go to me more often than he would. So okay. I would still be alone in the backseat, even though I was a married grown up. And after he and I split, my friend Felipe and Maria picked me up to take me out to dinner one night. And I was alone in the backseat of their car. And I thought, God, I ever write a book, I'm going to call it a woman in the backseat because that's literally the story of my life. Nice. <laughs> and that was like 10 years ago. Oh, and okay. Never, so it's been brewing for a while. Well, no, because I just said it. I didn't intend to write a book. Like, it was oh, never my intention. Oh. I never had a plan that someday I was going to write a book and I was going to call it Alone in the Backseat. I just thought of a title. It was a really good title. And then 10 years later, this catalyst happened in my life that made me write a book. And I had the title already, and it was perfect. Now, what was that catalyst? Um, I, I heard from a little birdie. Um, let me not say a little birdie. I, <laughs> I tried to do some research <laughs> before the podcast, and I understand that you had an experience with someone called Nathan that inspired the book. Yes. So that's not his real name. Oh, okay. His, I'm not, that's his um his name for identity. So yeah, Nathan was a guy that I dated back in like 2015. Yeah, the end the end of 2015, and I just fell for him like a ton of bricks, and absolutely adored everything about him, and was completely in love with him, and. He why? Sorry, sorry to why? Yeah, I'm like um, trying to understand the rational. Okay, what did he do to make well, you? Well, he was, well, first of all, he was ridiculously handsome. Okay, that, that helps. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was incredibly good looking and also really, really smart and funny and clever and witty and, and just, just, I mean, he was just perfect. He was perfect for me in every way. And unfortunately he was significantly younger than I was. And he what I really liked about him was that he was very direct and he broke things off with me and he told me that our age difference for him was a deal breaker and he didn't want to pursue anything with me. Wait, so how long were you guys how long do you guys go off for? We only went on um eleven dates. Eleven. I mean the period of time, how long do you Oh, guys? it was over three months. Oh, okay. So over three months, we went on 11 dates, and then after the 11th date, he told me that he wanted, he didn't want to continue dating me, and, but he had left his backpack at my place, so okay. I was like, okay, well, I have to give your backpack back, so we shall have, like, one final date. So we had 12 dates, and so it was really nice. Nice number. Yeah, it was really nice because I was so devastated, and I was so heartbroken, but, like, Sometimes someone will cut you off and you never see them again. But this time, like, I knew this was going to be the last time I was going to see him. Even though he ended things, like, I really respected how he did it. Because he didn't string me along. He didn't, you know, play a game with me. He just told me, like, black and white, this isn't going to happen. You know, it's over. Not, not to make you relive a painful experience, yeah. but how, how did he, did, did he do it at home, on he, the phone? We talked, it, we talked on the phone. Okay. Yeah. We talk on the phone. But did he did he show any behavior to lead up to that? Were you suspecting that he was becoming uncomfortable in the relationship, or no. he just like no. told you, "I'm sorry, I don't want to waste your time"? And 
No, not really. I mean, he always kept me at arm's length, so I never felt like we, I hoped that it would turn into something, but I never felt like it really was. I mean, it, we def- he definitely was not my boyfriend. Like, he we were just dating, and I hoped it would turn into something, but he said that, you know, he didn't want to get attached, and because it, he was sure that he didn't put of my age, I'm too old for him. <laughs> so it was very disappointing, but um, but I really respected him because I pr- appreciate people that are honest and straightforward and direct. That's how I am. And, and that's what you call them nowadays, right? Yeah, I mean, I and it's very easy to just tell someone this isn't, this isn't what I want, and it's nobody's fault. Like, you don't control who you're attracted to, who you love. It, it's just, it's nobody's fault. Nobody needs in that kind of situation to feel, um, to feel like insulted or hurt or, you know, it hurt that, that, that it didn't happen what I wanted to happen, but it's not like neither of us had control over that. That's something that's beyond our control. So anyway, um, I really, really, really liked him aside from loving him. And so I, pursued staying friends with him and I maintained this friendship with him for the next 15 months where I would he you know message with him about politics and sometimes we would have some flirty messaging but he like never wanted to see me again wouldn't agree to hang out with me but at least I still had this you know somewhat uh, digital friendship with him and then 15 months later and it was a really hard year. I mean, I was really, I was really lonely. My friends had moved away and I really missed him like every single day. I don't even know how. Are you guys in the same city? Yeah. Yeah. He's here. Oh, and it's a small city. Yeah. Well, you never did. Um, but anyway, that day, I, this particular day, I was just like, Ugh, I haven't talked to him in five days. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm probably never, never going to talk to him again. I'm never going to see him again. Like this is, However, as soon as I thought that, he ended up messaging me that day. Normally, I was the one that instigated contact. And so we ended up just messaging back and forth. And, and that one night, he told me I'd be a perfect conversation person. So he ended up coming over that night, and it was like a dream come true. I mean, I was on. And this was 15 months after. 15 months after. Wow. This the last time. So I was like on cloud nine, the happiest person in the universe that I just got to see him and be near him and talk to him. And, and after being like so depressed and feeling, and you know, I had been really trying to date and I was just, you know, not finding anyone that I liked and anyone I did like, they didn't like me. And it was just like, it was... Did you guys talk about other people in your conversations? Um, a little bit. Okay. Um, we mostly just talked about politics. But okay. yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so anyway, I, so I, I was already in a really depressed place where I was just, like, not hopeful and feeling really undesired and, you know, feeling like I was getting older and it was just, like, a really stressful frame of mind. And then all of a sudden, he's, like, in my apartment and I'm just like, oh, my God, you know, you never should give up because you never know what could happen. Like, the very day that I said, I bet I'm never seeing him again is the day that I saw him. And so five days, so I knew that nothing was going to change between us because I knew that he was very committed to not committing to me. <laughs> he literally told me I'm committed to this going nowhere. Not that day, but 15 months earlier. And so I, I, I didn't have any 
naivete that anything was going to change. But I was just so happy that I got to see him and be near him that for the next five days, I was on cloud nine. And I don't know how someone can be on cloud nine when they don't have the person that they want, but I was. I was absolutely like so happy. And he, and so, you know, by the fifth day, I was like, oh my God, I gotta get all these feelings out. So I wrote a love letter. And Dang, so back to 80s back, art. I'm yes, sorry, yes, to 80s yes. main. I'm sorry. <laughs> We've now gone full circle. Full circle. Back to letting writing love letters. So, but this time it was digital, so I wrote it on my phone. And I wrote it, and I didn't intend to send it to him because he wouldn't want it. And and I knew that. I just wanted to get the words out. So, I Do you remember what you wrote? Well, you can read it because it's oh. the beginning of my book. Okay, okay, we'll get we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> so, so I wrote this love letter and I read it and I was like, oh my God, this is so good. This is the beginning of a book. And then I went home from work that day and I went home from work every day for the next 23 days and I wrote that book and I wrote it first draft in 23 days. Wait, in, in how long? 23 days. But it took you 23 days to write a book. To write my first draft, yeah. Well, you must have really been on cloud nine. Wow, that's a lot of inspiration. That, that's fast. Yeah, so he absolutely changed my life. And I think it's really... So when people, you know, when people want to end relationships with people and cut them out of their life permanently, I... And not like that. I think it's much better to leave the door open. And it doesn't mean that something romantic will happen, but like you share a moment with someone, like you have shared memories. It's, you know, it's always good to reconnect and you never know what can happen. And in this case, he changed my life. And he didn't try to change my life, just him crossing my path changed my life. And, and I became a writer and I never intended to be one. So, and apparently I'm pretty good at it. Wow, so I guess you really like my book. I guess you're kind of like the literary Adele, you know, <laughs> in a way. Wow, that is a really big compliment. Yeah, I, I don't mean to be cheesy, but <laughs> wow. has he read the book? Did you send him a copy? He has not read the book, so. Do you know for sure? Like he might have bought. I know for sure that he has read and that he has not read the book. Um, I don't think that. I think this the attention just more. Like he, I don't think that he, like he knew that I was writing the book. He knew he knows everything. Okay. Um, because I, you know, we were, we were friends, so he was part of my whole process. And and then we ended up reconnecting again a few months later, and we started hanging out again. And we actually had twelve more. Um, the, the well, number I, twelve. Yeah, I don't. Know. Maybe that should be the name of your next book, like twelve. <laughs> If, if you consider it dates the second time around, but we hung out a couple more times. And I actually finished editing my book in yeah. his apartment. Wow. So that was, that's special. Okay, wait, but you, you mentioned that Nathan is not his real name. Nathan's not his real name. So what was what he afraid of? Like, but, well, let me ask this instead. How much authenticity is in the book. So the like, book is 100% authentic. Okay. There are real experiences, real stories. Everything is absolutely exactly as it happened, true, real, raw stories. But some different names here. A few different names. And okay. then there's one chapter where I changed two minor details 
to protect someone else's anonymity um, that don't affect the story at all. Just that you live somewhere and you live and, you know, nothing, you know, change the name. So, but um, I don't think that Nathan has anything to be embarrassed about or anything, but I just, you know, he's an important character and I just felt that I, I wanted to respect him and I didn't want, I didn't want him to like, you know, I, I don't know if this is going to become a bestseller or what would happen with this and I didn't want to like thrust fame on him when, you know, that's not what he was setting out for. So, um, so anyway, yeah. I mean, if, if he happens to be made into a movie, then he'll have to. <laughs> I mean, let, let's, let's give it a read. Um, okay. We can, well, we can let me just... tell you about little, um, one thing that is interesting. I can tell you about where Nate's name came from. So, okay. so I am a huge fan of the TV show One Tree Hill. It's like my oh, favorite TV show of all. Shot Michael Murray. And... Not well, you know, there's a different actor. Um, oh my gosh, I'm going to see right now, but he plays the. Guy opposite to Chad Michael Murray, and in the book, his name oh James Lafferty, that's his name. yeah Jay, James that's Lafferty, it. and um, he is gorgeous, <laughs> like the name of the book, and he plays this character named Nathan Scott, who is one of my favorite characters of all time, and so um, Nathan is my favorite character. Ah, so, yeah. So, nice. well, what do you want me to read? I mean, you can read uh, the, fr- the first letter. letter. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested okay. to know. I, I just ordered my like, full disclosure. I'm sorry, I should have read your book before this interview. Uh, this week, I've been like back to back interviews. So, I just like ordered it like today. So, it's coming in on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And I'll definitely like get to read it. I'm still, I'm still like wrapping up Adora's book. Okay. And yeah, I'll get well, to read yours. Well, you can introduce me again if you read it. You want. Of course, of course. <laughs> Um, okay, so this chapter is chapter one. There's actually a prologue called How to Write a Memoir in 36 Steps. But the real story starts with chapter one and it's called Dear Nathan. Dear Nathan. Dear Nathan. Let's go. Nathan. Oh, FYI, this is a little bit sexy. So if there are children listening, you might want to. Children listening to podcasts? <laughs> I don't think any kid is listening to this. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Nathan, it is almost a week since I saw you, and I'm still full of positive energy from being in your presence. You have no idea how much seeing you lifted my spirits, and even if I never see you again, I'm still glad I have one more memory to add to the list of memories I have. A newer, fresher one, where I can still feel your skin and hear your voice and see the freckles on your shoulders and remember how it felt to be in your arms. I can still feel you holding me tightly from behind with your fingers on your left hand intertwined with mine. I can see your face, my favorite face, as I have my head on your shoulder. I can see you watching yourself in the mirror going in and out of me, and I can feel your body trembling and your hands firmly on my hips as you watch that and you loved it. Given that I hadn't seen you in over a year, I had forgotten these things and loved you for your words whenever I got to read them. Nothing in the last year of not seeing you made me happier than seeing a notification pop up on my phone that I had a message from you. Nothing. And then you were in my apartment. And then you were on my couch. And then you were in my bed. And then you were inside me. And it seemed like 2016 and 15 months of missing you never happened. It seemed like no time had passed since we watched John Oliver and ate pizza at your place and I told you I loved you a thousand times and then said goodbye to you. The most frustrating goodbye I'd ever had to say. A tearless goodbye because I only wanted you to have 
happy memories of me and two of us Nathan, the man I got to go on only 11 dates with before he decided our age difference was a deal breaker. The man who I loved the most for his perfect, proper rejection. He told me he was, quote, committed to this going nowhere. Harsh sounding, but actually kind. It was clear, concise, and left no room for confusion or hope. I cried uncontrollably the weekend after he told me before our final 12th date. I was so afraid that I would cry when I saw him didn't want to. I worried about it all weekend. I didn't want to see him and lose control of my emotions. That crying that once you start, you can't stop. I did not want that to happen, but I didn't cry. I was happy. Even though I knew it was the last time, I was happy because any moment in his presence was pure happiness and tranquility and no tears. And then 15 months later, he was in my bed again. It was like a dream come true. I was afraid for that. I wished for it. I had so many imaginary conversations with him about it, and then it happened. It wasn't a new beginning, nothing changed. But I had an eight-hour reprieve from missing him constantly before he was gone again. I used to be a huge fan of the TV show Survivor. Jeff Probst, the host, has some standard lines he uses every season during the game. Because the game is unpredictable and someone who is on the bottom can suddenly be back on top every season at some point, Jeff says, you never, ever give up. Survivor. You never know what can happen. The same is true for life. You never know what can happen. With Jeff Pope's voice in my head, this was the mantra that I had adhered to through my divorce, through sharing my one-bedroom apartment for the last eight years with 71 roommates since my husband left me, through navigating the dating app world, but I had gotten laziness, I'm sorry, I had gotten lazy with my positive attitude and my hopefulness. And then Nathan was suddenly on his way to my apartment, and I could barely breathe, and I remembered, you never, ever give up. You never know what. Wow. Okay, so, you mentioned a whole bunch of stuff. Um, like, he, he was handsome, like, he was witty, he was intelligent. But I'm almost getting the sense, like, you just loved him because he was, he was honest. Yeah. That was one of the main reasons. Yeah, and that's why I loved him even more. The way that he rejected me made me love him even more. If he had rejected me and, you know, if he had ghosted me or if he had kind of distanced himself and strung me along, then I would think he's a jerk and I wouldn't love him. But the way that he told me so straightforwardly, this is not going to happen and this is why, it made me love him even more because I respected him. And I really, and I looked up to him because he's really smart too. So I just really admire him. Like, I let's just follow him around all day and see how he navigates everything that he does. If you could talk to Nathan, like, right now, if you could leave a message for him, mm-hmm. like, chances are that he will hear this podcast. He might hear it. He might not hear it. He might hear it two years from now, 30, whatever. <laughs> but if you could leave, like, a one minute message uh, for Nathan to listen to what we would say, I would say, I'd say you should read my book and you should be the man that I wrote about always because that is a man you can be proud of. You know, nobody's perfect, but I saw the perfect side of him, you know, and, 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 and I mean, I'm not unrealistic. I know that he's not perfect. I know that he, and I know that he didn't like 
take an action to improve or change my life. Like, it just happened as a result of knowing him. But... It wasn't controlling. Yeah. It just influenced you. Yeah. So... It was natural. But... But I wanted him in my book to be the idealized version that he is, which is, you know, in the way that I look at him. So, that's what I was saying. Wow. You know what? Like, so many people go through life, and even though... Um, your ideal relationship with him is not in effect right now. Mm-hmm. Like so many people going through life without even experiencing anything right. like this. And the fact that even though, you know, I mean, never say never, it's not over yet. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you even got to have a couple of months with a, a guy that you could obviously have all those emotions for is just amazing. Yeah. Oh, I know. I'm very lucky. And and that's one of the like I'm single now and I haven't really had any luck with the dating world in the last four years, but I, 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 I've gotten to experience like true luck, you know. And also with my ex husband, we really were in love too. So I got to you know before we got married and we couldn't figure out how to get along from you know him being from Argentina, me being from the states. We were also really young when we got married, so. But we were really in love, so I got to, you know, I, I got to have that. Do you find yourself, like, comparing, like, people you are going on dates with now with, like, Nathan? Because I don't think anyone can stand up to this. Um, so, I've gotten that question before from other people that have read my book or know how I felt about him or read my blog. And they've asked me that question, and the answer to that question is, of course, I don't expect to meet someone like Nathan. But I expect to feel, mm-hmm. to have someone elicit those feelings. And if I go on a date with someone and I don't feel about that person the way I felt when I was with Nathan, then I don't want that. I mean, especially now that you realize what these feelings are. Because yeah. the first time it's like, what's going on? But now you've experienced it, you know what it is, and you definitely know when you experience it again. Yeah. Kind of like eating jello fries. <laughs> I'm just well, joking. It's like when you have, it's like that spark, you know? And yeah. when there's that, that spark, is really hard to find. But when you find that spark, you you want it. And you want to go after it. And so people, so I, you know, I'm a blogger. And so I've, I've blogged a lot about dating and stuff like that. And one of the things that I've said is, because people, one of the concerns in today's dating world is that you, you always have, Someone better could be like at the next swipe, you know? And we now have exposure to thousands more people than we would have had exposure to before dating apps. And so people always say, you know, does this make us more picky? Did this make us more selective? And the thing is, when you feel a spark, you don't want to keep swiping. So when you feel a spark, you yeah. want to keep How, swiping. Yeah. And and so the thing is. We have more exposure to more people, but that doesn't mean that our spark rate is increased because that spark that you feel is not common. And I have like all these statistics about this. I have them in my book, I have them in my blog. Like I have captured because I became single when I was um, 41 years old because I, I got divorced when I was 35, I think. But then I, so um, I became single when I was 41, and I knew at that time it was going to be a lot harder to find a boyfriend than it was when I was, you know, 35 or 25. So I decided I was going to keep a spreadsheet, and I would see how many guys I had to go out with 
Wait, 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 hold, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. <laughs> you kept a spreadsheet yes. of guys. Yes, of every date that I went on. And I did. Did you have KPIs? Yeah, you have metrics? Yes, what? I have metrics, I have data. Okay, let's talk about it. So obviously their names were on this spreadsheet. What other what information were you trying to capture? Um, so I captured their name, their age, what age. we did, okay. how many times we went out, um, what base we went to. Okay. We like kissed or, you know, more than kissed. Okay. Um, and if there was a spark. So I, I know what my spark rate is. Wait, that's the thing? Spark rate? Yeah. How do you measure a spark rate? Well, you measure it because you go home from the date and you don't want to swipe anymore. No, how do you know? <laughs> okay. Touche. Right. First things first. But how do you know, like, if it's zero to hundred, is either you have a hundred or you have zero. How do you know I have more of a spark with Daniel than, I don't know, I don't, Jeff? No, I don't think that there are levels of spark. Okay. You okay. either have a spark or, or you, you don't. don't. Okay. Okay. I just, I just wanted I've never to... been posed that question before, so I haven't analyzed that, but that is my gut reaction. I either know that, wow, like, I like you, or, you know, nice to meet you. And why I asked that question is because of the, the terminology spark or rate. So I, I just thought that it was measurable. So at the end of everything, you assessed all this information, and that led to if there was a spark or, or not, basically. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, no, I mean, I didn't assess anything. I met right. someone. I knew if I felt a spark or not based on our interaction. Okay. And then I would go home and report it on the spreadsheet. Oh, so the spark itself was part of the metrics. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So the, the 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 metrics don't inform the spark. The spark oh, is okay. The okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I just I just completed yeah. an MBA, so I'm thinking uh, it's cool. <laughs> My mind was already thinking about predictive models. I could use that. Okay, so we have to have all this data and see how. Yeah, you can... but see, the thing is that you. This is like I said earlier, when things people need to take like rejection personally because it's not something you control. I don't control if I feel a spark. Nobody controls that, and so. I listened to this, I think it was a TED Talk or something with this woman who had done all this research to make her dating profile specified for the exact type of man that she wanted and she had success and she ended up, you know, finding this one man in the sea of millions that she was specifically targeting Then they got married and everything worked out great, but, and she was lucky, but I don't know. I mean, I went out with a lot of guys and I... No, that rate is really low. And I don't know what I could have done differently other than just increase my exposure. Oh, that was the thing with her. She didn't want to have to go out with a lot of people. So she wanted to be like very, very targeted. And targeted. I was just like, I'll go out with whoever. I don't know. Because yeah. I was even going to ask that because the spreadsheet, right? Is it is it more like descriptive? I, I'm sorry, I'm being talk. Is it, is it more like <laughs> descriptive? Like you just want to keep track and be aware that, oh, okay, this and this and this um, happened with these people. So it's not like you can no. use that information. Uh, there's or... no analytics that I used because I don't believe in that. So okay. what I, the only point of the spreadsheet was to collect the data set okay. of how many people, how often did I feel a spark, how many dates did I go on, what age range were I dating, was I dating, 
And it wasn't like, oh, well, if I only target 35-year-olds, then, you know, who have this type of job, then I'll find someone. No, not at all. Okay, so you're yeah, still leaving yourself open to fate and yeah. chance. You're just putting yourself out there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just keeping track along the way. Yeah, I just wanted to have numbers because, like I said, I, I knew it was going to take longer. So I wanted to know how many people I was going to have to meet, how many dates was I going to have to go on before I met someone. And... You know, it's four years later, and I still have a 0% conversion rate to boyfriends. Wouldn't it be amazing, though, like the Black Mirror episode, <laughs> like, um, that they had that device that told them exactly, you know, to go out with this person, yeah. and they had two days or whatever. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's interesting. You should. I think you should publish. Well, it's in my, I, I do talk about it in my book, and then I also have a blog post that is called Dating Data, I think it's called. Dating and, Data. Yeah, nice. so I share my, my data, um, and I've got, like, pie charts, and I've wow. got bar graphs. Okay. Yeah. Okay, obviously, I didn't do enough research for this episode, but I'll definitely be diving in, and maybe on the next episode, we can dive in. Uh, maybe the next episode we call Dating Data, we'll sit down, analyze exactly so, yeah, um, you know, when I did that post, a lot of people, because people, I got a lot of criticism in my blog that I was going for after guys that were too young, and I, you know, I wasn't being smart enough, and I wasn't being informed enough by my data, and I'm just like... How do other people tell you about your feelings, like, yeah. how, what to, how to go about trying to find love? Like, it's yeah. personal to Yeah, them, so. exactly. And I don't control what I'm attracted to, exactly. so it's it's like telling a gay man to start going after women. Like, I'm yeah. sorry I'm attracted to guys that are younger than me. Like, not my fault. I didn't choose it. So, um, so that's why I'm pretty much resigned to the fact that I will probably be single forever. <laughs> no, come on. It's okay, because it's- I... Like I said earlier, I got to experience love, I got to experience marriage, I got to experience commitment, and and now I get to experience having nobody get on my nerves. I mean, don't say that, right? I mean, you you have obviously demonstrated that you're smart, you're out there, you're putting yourself out there, and like you said, you know, like never say never. Like this might just come full circle with you know whoever Nathan is in real life. Like you never know. So um, I reject the fact because <laughs> you're making believers out of someone like me, <laughs> uh, you know, seeing all this. So, you know, saying that for yourself, uh, I don't accept it. But it's interesting that besides the book, Alone in the Backseat, you also have a blog called Alone in the Backseat. Yeah. And that's like more, you update that like more currently with yeah. stories. And does it revolve around dating and relationships? Yeah. So when I... um. So, I'm actually writing a second book. Nice. And it's called Distractions. The Distractions? Distractions. And it is a sequel to Alone in the Backseat, but I'm writing it as a novel. However... It's a sequel to Alone in the Backseat? I'll think the sequel will be Alone in the Front Seat. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Um, but a lot of people have tried to give me different titles like that, but I decided, you know what, I actually like being alone in the backseat. No, I don't mind it. It's okay. So the second book is going to, I'm going to talk about how everything happened, like how I started the blog and how this happened. Even though it's, I'm writing it as a novel, it's still going to be somewhat based on my life. 
And um, so it's going to be fiction. You're not going to know like what's real and what's not real. Okay. But I'll tell you. So in the, in the second book, I'm talking about how when I, I wrote this book, and I like I said earlier, I had no intention of writing a book, and therefore I had no idea like how do you publish a book? I didn't know any of that stuff. So I ended up. How did you publish a book? Yeah. Did you pay a printer to? No. So I ended up going to this. I ended up posting on Facebook because I told everyone on my Facebook friends I'm writing a book. I gotta have 60,000 words because I Googled how many words you need per book and apparently 60,000 for minimum. <laughs> so I was just like updating on my friends, you know, I'm at 10,000, at 20,000, at 30,000. And then I said, okay, well now I'm at like 50,000, so what do I do? Does anybody know I'm gonna publish a book? And so luckily somebody saw that post and she said, well, there's a writer's conference next month. So I was like, okay. So I went to this writer's conference, which it just, everything just worked out. Everything just aligned perfectly. And I went to this conference and they told me that if you want to publish a memoir, then you need one million followers. You, you need what? A million followers. Where? On all platforms or like on social media? On social media. And who, so, who said that? Well, because, because it's so competitive now. Oh, true, true. That, that, Publishing houses, like agents and publishers, won't work with someone who's not already famous. Unless they have, like, a crazy unique score. What if I'm famous and I don't know how to write for shit? Well, then you get a ghostwriter, right? Oh, okay, that makes sense. Um, so, so they told me that, that I needed a million followers, but I pitched my book to seven different agents and five of them were interested. And I, I, I knew, like, I'm very objective and I know that I had a good product. I knew that people would like it and I was very confident about it and I still am. And um and so I knew that I'm like, all right, well I gotta like get a million followers. So I joined Instagram and I started working I worked on that. And how far are you? Really far. Really, really, really far. <laughs> Hopefully after this podcast you can get I'll give you a chance to drop your social media handles after the episode. It's so. really hard. It's really, really hard. But the other thing that they told me was that if you want to be a writer, you have to show that you can write more than one thing. So you need to start a blog. So I started a blog and Okay, that and makes the, sense. And the blog I, I titled the blog while in the backseat because it kinda of just became my brand. And so I started a blog, and I didn't know what I was going to blog about. I had no idea. But I just started writing, and I wrote about the idea. And that's my second blog post. It's called The Idea, and it's how I came up with this and how this situation of him coming that night changed my life. Which, by the way, I should mention that that night was March 15th, which is also the Eyes of March, which is a turning point in world history and which a turning is... point in my life. Which is what you always love to talk about with Nathan politics, right? Yeah. So okay. it was the day that, for those of you who don't know, that Julius Caesar was uh, assassinated. So anyway, uh, so so I wrote about how I got this idea from this catalyst and how I always wanted an idea, but I never had one. And then all of a sudden, you know, I kept the door open and walked through it, literally and figuratively, and and that sparked this thing to happen. And then I wrote a book, and and so then I kind of just like wrote about, you know, I've been dating for two years at that time, so I had a lot of opinions on social interaction and dating and how things were going, so I knew I had, you know, something to write about, but what really happened to get my blog to take off was this story that just, like, fell in my lap with this guy that I 
had seen and met him after Nathan and I had seen him over the course of a year, but not dating. Like it was just sexual and there was no relationship at all. I called him my not boyfriend and we were in a not relationship. Your not boyfriend. My not boyfriend. Capital N, capital B. (laughs) Not boyfriend. And it what happened, so I I wrote this blog post. So I had tentative plans to see him that night after both of us came home from our, or after we both finished our activities that we were doing separately, we were going to meet up and get some physical interaction and relief. No kids, obviously. No. Okay. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kids better not listening. And so I went to a comedy show that night by myself, which was super depressing. And so, yeah, I was like not in a happy frame of mind. No, no, no. This was after this happened. This was blog. Okay. Anyway, I I was coming back from this comedy show that I'd gone to by myself, and it was raining out. And I was walking to this guy's place, like, in the rain, and I didn't think he had an umbrella. And I was messaging him, and like, you know, I'm almost at your place. Are you almost home? And I can't remember now, like, if he was responding to me. I think he wasn't responding to me, but he had it earlier in the evening. It was, like, very, like, we're meeting up. So I get to his place and I'm standing outside on the doorstep in the rain without an umbrella. And all of a sudden he shows up with a very cute girl in his arm. And I'm just like, I'm trying to figure out, like, are they on a date? Like, is she his neighbor? Like, is she walking into the building with him? Is she his friend? Like, I couldn't, I didn't know what was happening. And he just looks at me and he said, he goes to open the door and he said, Are you here to see Josh? His name wasn't Josh. What, what the hell is Josh? Exactly. And I'm like, No, I'm here to see you. <laughs> or I don't even know if I said that. And and the girl, like, it was all just very awkward. And he ended up going inside with this girl and shutting the door in my face. Leaving you in the rain? In the rain. <laughs> now, this guy, you don't need to change his name. <laughs> well, in my book, his name is Kevin. You don't need to change his name. You need to put his first name and his last name <laughs> and let us find him <laughs> wherever he is. So in my book, I'm so, I'm so sorry you asked me. Oh, that. that's okay. Well, see, the thing is, the thing is, I, we, we, like I said, he was my not boyfriend. We were in a not relationship. It was, yeah, but it was still, super, it was super rude. Yeah. But like, it wasn't like I was, I wasn't like, oh my God, like he's with another girl or like anything like that. No, but still, it's still it contravenes the rules it was, of engagement. Like, it was, yes. It was, it was very, very rude. Courtesy, dude. Yes. Come on. It was very rude. But little did I know that that was going to actually be a very helpful thing that happened in my life because I went home and I wrote about it. And I told my Facebook friends, you know, I have this like really, because I, I, I get like really into details about things that happen. So I was like, you know, should do you guys want to know like this much? Should I put this much out there on the internet? Because I was very new at blogging and everyone's like, yes, 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 we want to know. Tell us the whole story. So I went so I wrote the story and I published it and it's called um Desperation, what would you do? Okay. And and in in that he's called Ten. I refer to him as Ten because he was the tenth person that I had met on the meeting app. Well that you know from my spreadsheet. So I refer him as Ten and my book is Kevin. And anyway, I published that and it went off like I just got so much blog traffic from that story. And then what happened was that that story 
turned into a four-part story because that wasn't the end of the story. The story actually kept going because the next day or a few days later, the girl contacted me. How did she get? Exactly. So now you have to read it because I'm not going to give it all away. <laughs> okay. And this, what's the title of the blog post? The blog post, the first one is called Desperation. Okay. What would you do? If you just go on my blog and search for desperation, you'll find it. And this is Alone in the Dark? Dog. Alone in the Backseat. Oh, sorry. Alone in the Back. What? Well, how did I get from here to there? Alone in the Backseat.com. Alone in the Backseat.com, and you search for desperation. And, um, and so it's a four-part story, and the second part is called Karma. And the second part is called Grace. And then the first, and then the fourth part is called Best Promo Date Ever, or something I think I can kind of get the picture of how it went because yeah. karma, grace. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So <laughs> it's a really, really good story. Wow. Well, let, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Have you experienced like the Taylor Swift syndrome where, so Taylor Swift like writes about some of our experiences with her exes and I think I heard her say in an interview where it kind of like affects her some of her current relationships mm-hmm. where guys are afraid of being the next hits mm-hmm. or the next song and they like don't behave in an authentic way. Mm-hmm. So it'll be obvious that they're just either trying too hard or, you know, have you experienced that at all? Like people who know you, but they don't want you to write about them or don't want to be maybe a character in your book and because of that, they don't like open up their, their self, like, entirely, 100% to um, No. Well, okay. This is a, con- a, con- a kind of a multi-layered answer. So, on the one hand, some people, since I am, like, a public person now, my whole life is on the internet, um, all my secrets are in my book. My parents know my entire sex life <laughs> um, since I published this book. So, on the one hand, you have people that are, like, I want to be in your, I want to be your next story. You know, I'm just like, Ugh, really? yeah, I roll. And then there are other people that are like, I don't want to be in your book. And then I'm also like, I roll, you know, you, you need to something that you would have to inspire me to get into it, you know? And then, and then there's other people that don't see either. So that's the first part answer to your question. And I like those people that don't go either way, you know, that they're just like, they think it's cool. And, you know, they look at it and maybe they won't and they don't, you know, they're not promoting themselves or unpromoting themselves. Um, the second part, answer to your question is since I started my blog and I am now a public person, people are a lot nicer to me. So, really? no one is going to ghost me. Oh. Because they need to be on much better behavior. So, that is a good thing. Well, I guess, like, if, isn't that like, pretending in a way because if someone like behaves badly typically wouldn't you want to know so that you know that oh i'm not supposed to be dealing with this kind of person but the person just behaving in a fake way just so that he doesn't end up well people are complex and how you might treat me is different from how you might treat someone else so i can't i can say overall if you're if you're someone who ghosts people in general then you're not a very nice person but just because you ghosted sally doesn't mean you're going to ghost me you know just I don't know. So, so I don't think, like, for example, with my ex-husband, he wasn't a bad guy, but I just didn't elicit from him 
the the love and affection that after we were married and had problems that that I wanted. But I knew that that didn't mean that he wasn't nice or that he wasn't good. It meant that he just wasn't nice to me. <laughs> and so 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 some so I don't think that people are necessarily fake if they don't treat everyone equally because they don't feel equally about everyone. Mm. That's an interesting way to look at it. Um, but the third part answer to your question is, am I afraid of people being on their best behavior? And, 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 and am I afraid of people not showing them their authentic selves to me? And I can tell you that because I am so authentic, people are very authentic with me. And I know so many secrets. <laughs> I have people that you know about the, that what happened in the com- Mueller report. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I know a lot of men have confided in me, and I know that men are just as frustrated and just as lonely and just as hurt and just yeah. as sensitive and just as self-conscious and just as, you know, as everything that women are, because I, I hear it from the men. So, because strangely, 70% of my audience is men. So I, what? I, really? I'm pretty much an expert on men. 70% of your audience is male. Mm-hmm. Really? Huh. That's interesting. Okay. So I guess in a way, oh, that makes sense actually, because as I'm speaking to you, um, I like just like the honest thing. Like I got to understand the nuance of kind of like how a lady thinks. So I guess I can understand how that men kind of like want more information to know, like the spreadsheet thing, for instance, to yeah. just know how you know your approaches and certain things that maybe. Well, my audience is seventy percent male for a very specific reason. So I was, you know, dating when I started my blog and trying to find someone. And so I paid for Tinder. And I paid for it because when you pay, you can swipe all over the world. And Tinder is a dating app. Yeah. So I paid for Tinder so I could swipe all over the world. And I put in my profile. Oh, wait, that's a thing? Yeah. Like to swipe all over the world? Like it doesn't restrict you to a location? When you pay for it, you can change your Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. So, So I thought... And actually, it was Nathan's idea that I did this. It was his idea. He, he told me this. So I did what he said, and I paid for it, and I started swiping all over the world. And in my profile, it said, I have this blog. You should check it out. I, I'm sure you'll like it. And no, I'm not trying to tell you anything. And so that really spread the word because I would just swipe all over the world, and I got to meet people yeah. from all over the world who've been exposed to seeing my blog, and that's why 70% of my audience is men, because I was able to market to men. And I didn't have a way to do that with women. And, but, just so there's any listeners that might get mad at me and say that I wasn't very nice, I only swiped right on people that that I legitimately wanted to talk to. So it wasn't like I was just, you know, using this tool to just self promote and not care about people's feelings. So anyone that I engaged with, it was because I legitimately wanted to be. I think you just gave me an idea to market my podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> obviously, like, we get listeners, like, when I did an episode about uh, Southwards in Pakistan, I got a bunch of listeners from Pakistan. I'm starting to get, like, a steady set of listeners from, like, South like the middle, like a bunch of people listen from Qatar, from Ireland and mm-hmm. stuff. So, huh, 
Yeah, I have, you know, I have sold books. I sold a book in Qatar because of, of doing this, and I have sold books all, like, all over the world because of, of Tinder. And the thing is, was absolutely devastating is that I actually ended up getting banned. And I wasn't banned because of this, because, I mean, the product that I'm putting out there is super useful and helpful to men who are dating. And it's really gives them insight into a woman. I provide a lot of advice on, you know, who pays, who should pay on dates, and, you who know, how to attract women, and, you know, sexual advice, so... Wait, wait, who should pay on dates? Well, I can't read the blog post. <laughs> <laughs> okay, she's good, guys. She, she's good. Um, Trust me. I, I can tell you about that after, but... So, okay. but I ended up... So, Tinder, as this platform, they just ban people, like hundreds of people a day just get banned indiscriminately and I didn't know it at the time and I didn't know that this happened but it's like a thing and like thousands and thousands of people get banned and Tinder doesn't respond and they won't fix it and so now I, I'm not on Tinder anymore which really breaks my heart because I really 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 loved Tinder and I met so many cool people on Tinder and... How do you meet guys now? I've stopped trying to Oh. I've given up. When was the last time we met a guy, like, not on a digital platform. Like, you just ran into a guy at a grocery store or something. I don't meet men anymore. I think men are afraid of women now. They're not friendly. They don't, they're afraid of, they're just, and I talk to men about this. They're afraid of being told that they're harassing and, you know, they're just really sensitive to not stepping on women's toes and, not being flirtatious and not making women feel uncomfortable and so it's you know and then the only way to meet a man is if I like pounce on him myself <laughs> but I don't really put myself in those positions much anymore because I'm just it's too much it's too much it's too much not it's too little spark you know mm. I just I don't, don't want to I, I just stopped trying it's too much disappointment it's too much effort and more so negative. I my blog is actually very positive. Like I write about positive dating stories and positive ideas for how to navigate this thing, which isn't necessarily fun, but how to make it fun. But it's time consuming and spotting because men always want to take you out to eat, and I feel like I could only eat dinner. <laughs> and I don't drink. I don't drink either. So like, if a man wants to meet me, but you don't drink solo bars. I don't drink. And um, I don't drink coffee either. So it's like I can take you to a comedy club. Yeah, I've been to a couple comedy club dates. Uh, what else? Uh, well, what I normally suggest is to just go for a walk. And okay. and I and, and then I write about this in my blog post called "Who Should Pay on Dates," which is. You know, a lot of guys spend a lot of money on taking out women that they don't even know. Like, why would you spend money on a stranger? You might no, as well donate it to charity. I mean, I like to ask, like, if I'm taking a girl, I, I like to ask, like, hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. Like, you know, is that okay? Is it cool? She's like, oh, cool. Some some situations are like, oh, well, let's do this instead. Um, but I guess not everyone. Like, some women want to be like, well, okay, let's go. Yeah, just yeah. go for a walk. Ask someone out for a stroll. And then if you like each other, then you get the walk and turn into drinks, and drinks can turn into dinner. But but you don't drink, or you order like water. Well, I'm really good at drinking water. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I have a friend of mine who was telling me that he went out with a woman the other day, and she had suggested the restaurant. And, you know, she had suggested it, and then it was like $100. Wow. And he was, and there was not, clearly not a vibe, so he was like, 
how about if we split this? And she's like, no, I don't do that. So he ended up paying for her. And I'm just like, why, why, why would you do that? I would never do that. Like, no. Honesty, man, goes both ways. <laughs> Openness. But anyway, yeah. that's, uh, I, I'm, I'm far from like a relationship expert or something, but I think, uh, I can educate myself uh, quite a bunch by reading. Yeah. I, I look forward to it. Okay, thank you so much for coming. Um, so we have this thing at the end of the podcast uh, called Endgame. Okay. And it's where we get to ask our guests a couple of questions because uh, the podcast called Culture Class Podcast, right? Uh, so we talk to people from different cultures uh, about where they're from or their interaction with other cultures. And hopefully our audiences get to uh, get one or two information from our conversation. But we like to be a little bit deliberate, so we, at least we are sure that we're passing okay. the specific information. But all the questions I have is kind of like cultural and stuff, but we've talked about so much about relationships. I guess if they want more about that, they have to go to your blog and get your book. Yeah. So I'll just keep you light and just ask you some questions so that some people that are listening from my outside U.S. that didn't know about like mm-hmm. the Portland situation, about Portland Garden and Portland Maine, mm-hmm. those stuff like that, we'll just get to do that. So are you ready? Yeah, um, well, I also want to say people can feel free to contact me on Instagram as well. Oh, sure, yeah, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you the opportunity. Questions or anything, oh, okay. I love engaging people, so. You have, like, a, you do everything yourself? Like, you have, like, a publicist, no. manager, assistant? I do everything. Well, something. I did hire a publicist, but it was very brief and accomplished very little. <laughs> so, yeah, I do everything myself. Okay, so, I guess, first question. Okay. Uh, from where, where you're from, what's the largest city in Maine? The largest city in Maine is Portland. That was easy. <laughs> what's the capital of Maine? The capital of Maine is Augusta. Yeah. And do you happen to, this one is a little bit more difficult, but do you happen to know what the most powerful passport in the world is? Well, define powerful, what do you mean powerful? Well, powerful meaning that that passport can go to the most countries in the world without a visa. Oh. What country? This, so I have to guess? Yeah, guess. Um, I mean, you have a... Switzerland. Uh, not really. Okay. Close, but it's up there, but not the most. Belgium. It's also up there, but not the most. This is surprising, actually. The Netherlands. I didn't know this. Germany. Germany is actually number two. Okay. Austria? No. Okay, open. Denmark. Denmark. Close. Denmark Denmark is actually number three. (laughs) Well, what country am I forgetting? All all the countries you've gone to, did you need a visa to go to any of them or you just use your United States passport? Russia. Uh, Obviously. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure you're, you're. you, you, yeah, I need a visa to go to um, Argentina. Really? I, I think my God, they haven't gotten rid of it. They're very like back and forth. Wait, with a U.S. passport, you still need a Sometimes, visa? Yeah, but you just get it right in the airport. And then oh, okay. I needed a visa, I think, when I went to Brazil. Really? I think so, because I remember I had a Brazilian visa. How many countries have you been to outside the U.S.? Um, more than 10? Yeah, more than 10. Nice. More than um, okay, wait, so... You want me to tell you the answer? Or you want to no, have one or two more guesses? I mean, it's it's 
it, I don't think you can guess this because even I was surprised. I was like, okay, what? Um, really? Japan. That's it? Ah. Wait, how do you think about Japan? <laughs> Wait, was that just like off the top or you just, because I said you could have guessed it, you just came up with the first country? <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah, it's actually. You tricked me though because you said it was close. And so, and so I was naming off countries that were geographically close. Close? No, I mean, it, well, I mean, it's up there. That's what yeah. I meant. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was actually surprised. Japan and Singapore. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you hold a Japanese or Singaporean, is it Singaporean? Or passport from Singapore, mm-hmm. you can actually go to 189 countries wow. without a visa. Wow. Then coming second is Finland, Germany, and South Korea uh-huh. with 187. Uh-huh. Then Denmark, Italy, and Luxembourg with 186. A U.S. passport can visit 184 mm-hmm. countries. Oh, so awesome. you've been to 15, so you have like 100. <laughs> <laughs> you have quite a quite a number of countries to go, but yeah, thank you so much uh, for being on this episode. Uh, last question: I mean, you've been on this podcast, you know what we do now. We kind of like know the theme of the podcast, get to you know discover other people, people's background, uh, culture, that kind of thing. Is there anyone uh, within the DMV area you can recommend? Yes, this podcast. Okay. Yes, I have a recommendation for you. Okay. Oh, do you want to say it right now? Yeah, sure. Oh, okay. She's a coworker of mine, and her name is Kat, and she is a food blogger, and but she's also like super funny and engaging. Oh, so she likes food. Yeah. Okay, can you introduce her to Jello Fries as well? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I would definitely recommend her, and I can think of someone. Nice. Nice. So I look forward to Kat. You say? Yeah. Okay. I'll okay. So yeah, we'll reach out and get to talk about this sometime. Okay, so yeah, drop your social media, um, and is there, if there's any last words you want to say, okay. the floor. Um, well, I'm at Jen Laurie on Instagram, that's J-E-N-L-O-U-R-I-E, and I, uh, I actually, this my book actually goes into a lot of detail about Russia and Lebanon and France and Italy and Argentina, so... I didn't talk about it that much in my cultural experiences there because we did end up talking about relationships and stuff, but um kind of too bad I feel like I probably should talk more about that stuff. No, no, we we spent the first half of the podcast talking about, you know, your background and you know where you went to okay. and the Russian wedding thing. Okay. So it's still great. It's okay. still great, trust okay. me. Um but no, thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful to talk to you and I just really enjoyed this and I'm happy to come back if you want to do more. Definitely. We'll come back. We'll talk about the dating data. Okay. We'll talk about that one and maybe uh, two words. Is your second book going to be published this year or next year? I don't know yet. I'm not, I'm not as compelled. It's not going to be a 23 day project. It's mm-hmm. going to be, and, and also it's different because this book, when I wrote this book, it just came out in the order of, like I didn't plan it. It just came out like there was divine intervention. Mm-hmm. And the finished project product is of course, I went through very many rounds of edits. The finished product is still very close to the original draft. With my new book that I'm writing, I have no idea how to write it. <laughs> so it's like, it's not, it's not, there's no divine intervention happening right now. <laughs> okay, okay. It's it's you need some inspiration. <laughs> I mean, but, okay, I mean, we'll see. Is the name set, The Distraction? Yeah, The Distraction. So, so people listening to this should look out for that. Yeah. Yep. Okay, perfect. 
Perfect. All right, guys, it's been Culture Pass Podcast. Follow us everywhere as well. Uh, it's Culture Pass Podcast on all platforms except Twitter. Twitter is Culture Pass Pod. Send us an email at culturepasspodcast at gmail.com. And we're going to have the Amazon link to Jennifer's book in the show notes. So you can just click on that and order the book. I bought one today. I think it's about $15. Mm-hmm. So depending on what country you're buying from, I'm not sure what the currency is, but it's about $15. It's $2. So thank you very much, Jennifer. You're welcome. Thank you.